podcast is going to join me, your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, to discuss six cinematic werewolves. Yes, we are going to return to the subject of lycanthropy. There is indeed a beast within all of us. But as you listen, go in with your typical caution that there will be spoilers and there will be coarse language. If you disagree, you have every right to let me know. You can do so by writing me at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Also, if you happen to be within arm's reach of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, on October 27th, 2018, my movie, Book of Trespasses, will be playing at the Broadway Theater. We would uh, really appreciate anybody who is interested in coming out to support us. Um, there will be three shows that day, and we would love to see. It is a thriller, supernatural thriller horror movie written and co-directed by your host and random comedian Larry Parsons. Continue listening to Rank and Review for more news on that. And until then, let's press on with werewolves. Oh, and just since I failed to mention this during the introduction you're about to hear, the six werewolf movies we're going to talk about this week are An American Werewolf in Paris, Cursed, Ginger Snaps 2 Unleashed, Bad Moon, Underworld Rise of the Lycans, and the Wolfman remake with Benicio Del Toro. Boozy from uh, Saskatoon Brother Podcast, The Terror Table. Yes. Uh, you're, you've, you've come to join me in Rank and Review. Thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. And I've been uh, excited to. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I'm glad that uh, you were game for doing the show, and I'm glad that you picked Werewolves. Uh, not too, too long ago, I reviewed this movie, uh, Lone Wolf, uh, or, or, yeah, Night of the Lone Wolf, Late Phases. Uh, late is it late phases? Yeah, late phases. Night of the Lone Wolf. I think it's like the, the subtitle. That one's from like what 2014. Somewhere yeah, it was two there? years ago. It's yes, like this yes. Old blind dude fighting. A yes, werewolf. love that movie. And uh, yeah, I gave it a really high ranking and a really positive review. And during it, I said, "Why do they have such a terrible time making great werewolf movies?" Like, I'm such a fan of werewolf movies that when I find a good one, I tend to oversell it just because it's such a rare. Even thing. even a mediocre werewolf movie is a great <laughs> movie overall, just because it's a mediocre werewolf movie. But I think, and this is for me, and I'll get your side on this. For a good werewolf movie, there's a few components that I'm going to be looking for. Hundred percent. Okay. Uh, to me, it's typically a tragic trajectory. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a bummer ending. 
but it's a horror movie. So yeah. make it scary. Make you bring bring us some of the doom and gloom. It's kind of like uh, you look at the, the the curse, I guess, as you would is the like how do I put like a disease, and it's slowly rotting away your main character or anyone around them. Well, and you can sort of play the beast within. That's mm-hmm. a very often thing, but it's like this thing where the only solution seems to be like suicide or you, death. Somebody's got to like, die. That's yeah. <laughs> like there's there's not a, usually not a safe way out of the problem. Um, and uh, I look for that. And the other big thing, obviously, is a transformation sequence. Oh, I, my, yes. I'm spoiled because, of course, I grew up with American Wolf in London, which still, to this is day, probably the has number the one. best yeah. transformation sequence. And as far as I'm concerned, that is the bar that has been set. And if you're going to do a werewolf movie, you should have a transformation sequence. And if you're going to have a transformation sequence... You're going to have to at least acknowledge where you're coming from. I, I find like a lot of times if the uh, whatever movie you're watching doesn't have a big budget for doing the transformation scene, I find silhouettes can also be helpful. Be help Totally. And I, I think that's a good way to get around it. No, know your budget. Absolutely. Yeah. Like if you can't afford to do it, uh, I understand that. I'll be sympathetic. I'm a big fan. We're going to talk about Ginger Snaps too. But the first Ginger Snaps movie, when they actually show the werewolf. Yep. It doesn't look that great a lot of the time. Right? I, it doesn't look fully like a werewolf. It looks like something else. Right. Well, I mean, during the attack scenes in the basement, it looks like a werewolf. But like when we see it pouncing and jumping around, yeah. there's something off about it. The budget kind of raises the curtain a little bit. But I will be very forgiving of a low-budget movie. But when we're talking about things like, you know, the Underworld franchise, which plays with millions of dollars. Oh, my goodness. They um, throw money around. <laughs> right. Or we're going to be talking about some talented people here. Wes Craven. Yep. Kevin Williamson, right? Um, and three sequels in this bunch of movies. Yeah, you actually, like, I don't want to get too into, like, my my rank, I guess, already, but right. you picked a couple ones that I really enjoy. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, and I've been learning this a lot lately on Rank and Review. Revisiting movies does change my perspective on them. Like, I kind of, there's a, one movie in particular I felt like the ticket had been written on, and I, I mean, it's not salvaged here, but my position has softened a little bit upon revisiting, right? Okay. Um, but I think we're going to see the examples of the highs and lows. And I guess my question to you is like, why is it so hard to make a good werewolf movie? You know what? Um, I'm glad you brought that up because there's one other thing I'd like to mention before I answer that is yeah. why is it so hard to make a good werewolf movie, but also why is it even harder to make a good Sasquatch movie? <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> I, we did a whole episode on Bigfoot, and we had that very conversation. They're, those, like, I always put those kind of side by side because they're both not similar, but kind of. And it's there's it's there's not very many good ones. Yeah. And werewolf ones, I think for whatever reason, they make them either really over the top, or I think budgetary constraints kind of ruin it for you because that is a big thing. Is if it's a shoddy looking werewolf, it definitely ruins the movie for you. It's tough. If your monster doesn't look good, that hurts. Yes. And I I mean, I guess another question I had is, what do you consider to be a better looking werewolf? Do you want the full thing, or do you want kind of the, like, patches of hair on the face kind of werewolf? I'm typically not the werewolf in jeans type of guy. Okay. Although I do love the classic original Wolfman. One of the few occurrences in movies where a character's name is Larry, and we are asked to sympathize and like him. Just putting it out there. But, um, again, that, that establishes the rules very very clearly. 
I think one of the problems might be is that the beast is such a beast that it doesn't have a lot of character to it. It's yeah. like this crazy wolf that, that growls and snarls and will eat you, right? There's no access to them. To me, if you're going to go with the two-legged wolf man, maybe make the wolf a little bit more human. Maybe let me see some of the personality come through. Yeah. But if you're going to go full hellhound, if you're going to go like American Wolf in London, then it's a monster that eats people. And I'm all good with that too. Right? See, I, I think for myself, I personally like the full on like American Werewolf mm-hmm. style like that. A hound. Yeah, exactly. Four I think, legs. Yeah, exactly. Like I want it to just fully be, I don't want there to be any personality of a person left yeah. in that. I'm just saying, if you're going to do the two-legged wolf man, yeah. then I would say give him a personality. Four-legged wolf man, monster yep that's that's where that that was the rule that i would set also um another question i had for you was sorry i feel like i'm interrogating that's you all good. Bring it. um other than american werewolf in london what do you think is some of the better werewolf movies in terms of transformation scenes i have one that comes to mind um transformation scenes yeah the howling uh silver bullet and there's a not bad one in dog soldiers considering their they're pretty limited budget. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, like right away is like the howling. I think it's fairly close to American Werewolf for me personally, yeah. because it's, it's done so fantastic and you have a character delivering like pretty much a monologue while transforming, which is amazing to watch. Yeah. And again, I, I, I find myself repeating myself way too much on this podcast, but <laughs> prosthetic effects, you guys. Oh, prosthetic I know. Effects, please. I mean, some of the ones that we're going to talk about is fairly early in the era of CGI, so I try to be more forgiving. But honestly, honestly, I mean, at the time, CGI was expensive. If you're going to spend that much money on an effect, spend that much money on an effect that will look good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really bad watching some of them. Like, and, and once again, you're talking about like being forgiving to werewolf movies, where some of them you're like, this looks like reboot, like yeah. the TV show, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I wish I could like this more, but that just, it takes so much away from it. There must be something particularly hard about wolves, too, even in like movies that I enjoy. I'm a big fan of Terry Gilliam, and he did this Brothers Grimm movie, and there's okay. a big bad wolf in it. And it looks awful. <laughs> Even in a Terry Gilliam movie, they have a hard time making it work for me, right? So I don't know. We're going to have tragic trajectories. We're going to have epic transformations. And we're going to have a more character-driven monster movie. That's typically what you're asking for mm-hmm. with a werewolf movie. How successful these are, as we will discuss. Is there anything else you want to say by way of introduction before we? Yes, I have one more thing. Uh, Just because it's my first time on here and I haven't seen you in a while, I want to congratulate you on your film premiere because we were we were all there, you know. And I I think, you know, as many times as people give you credit for it, you know, or tell you good job, like just hear it one more time because that was (laughs) I heard you guys talking about it you guys seem to be careful with your praise (laughs) there Uh, we are going to be playing it again in uh, October 27th at the Broadway Theater okay and it's going to be about five minutes shorter Uh, so we, we have we have taken some of the notes that we did from our test screening but I think that's it. I think after five years of working on it, whatever yeah. notes we get at this point, I think we're just gonna have <laughs> to, we're just gonna have to walk away from it. But thank you for the plug. Yeah, no problem. I have been plugging the the terror table on the. Oh, podcast, thank you, so, thank you very much. Uh, so make sure you guys keep listening to that. Check that out. I've been on it. Mr. Beckman's been on it, and and it may just happen again. You never know. <laughs> Oh, I, I, we would love to have both you guys back. I remember even uh, before we started this off air, you were showing me your movie collection. That was one of the things Lee said 
first time I met him is like, if you ever go over there, you gotta look at his movie collection. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a so problem. I knew walking in, I was like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I've always been a collector, right? Ever since I was a kid, I was like, started with buttons. Or buttons, slurps, really? Or action figures, or stickers. Did you ever or, do stamps? Didn't get into the stamps, but there would always be something. Comics for a time. Yeah. And uh, all of the other ones I managed to shake, but I still have a real bad movie problem. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. All right. Billy, watch out! Dog. So I've been a defender in the past of Kevin Williamson. I, I like about easily half of the Scream franchise, but really all of it. The first two are, are really, really strong. The other two are what they are. That's so funny that you brought that up, because we just did an episode on Scream <laughs> oh, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of how I feel about Scream. I think the first two are very strong, the second two are that's, kind of it, And they. that's totally what we talked about, too, <laughs> is like, uh, three is, uh, and then, yeah, four, they tr they tried, but, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm a big defender of the faculty. He wrote the faculty. Love the um, faculty. Uh, and all through the 90s. He's sort of a double-edged sword because he kind of dulled horror a little bit. He made horror hip and funny through the 90s, and that kind of made it less scary for to a certain degree. But generally, I think it needed it a little bit, though. Maybe. And generally speaking, I, I like where his, his heart's at anyway. And, and by softening things, it just meant that the pendulum was going to swing to the other extreme eventually. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so I don't particularly come into this with a problem with Kevin Williamson. And although Wes Craven um, is a you know, horror icon, you couldn't say that every movie he made was amazing. But no, he's going yeah. to bring a certain level of professionalism to the shoot. If the script is shit, there's only so much even a great director can do. Yeah, Wes Craven's had some amazing films, and yeah. he's also had some kind of not great at all films. Yeah. But this was, unlike Scream and unlike The Faculty, this was a sort of per-order deal. The yeah. studio came up and said, we want a werewolf picture, Kevin Williamson style, and we want Wes Craven to direct it, and we want it to be super dark and scary and hard. We want to make like an awesome, scary horror movie. And we want it to be a little bit hip. Yeah. A little, yeah. A couple but, funny scenes. I don't know, like, the production went on for like two and a half years. Cast members came and went, reshoot after reshoot after reshoot, and then apparently right at the zero hour, right before it's about to be released, they decide, you know what, this should probably be PG. Oh, so I did see. I did not know that. So that's amazing to hear. Here's the thing: you've got all of the ingredients of like your screamer, your faculty type of thing. You got a young hip, you know, yeah, cast, brother sister duo, right? And, yeah, and you got you know your 
werewolf, at least in the United States, this was new. We had ginger snaps in Canada, but for them, you know, something fresh. <laughs> uh, all of the ingredients are in place, and the movie is fucking awful. I don't <laughs> You want, have to get it out of the way right away. Well, I don't want to lay it all on the, the, the feet of Williamson and, and Craven, which seems strange, as they are the writer and director, yeah. respectively. <laughs> I feel like they were being fucked with, and anything that will drag out for two and a half years... You know, <laughs> it boggles the mind. Like, uh, Wes Craven was going to do the movie Pulse. Really? He was going to do that. Oh, but shit. he got sidelined, tied up with this. And I haven't got, heard anybody talk about Pulse in years. Yeah, and it got passed on to someone else. I think that the original movie that that was based off of was really strong. And maybe under Wes Craven's hands, it could have been even stronger. But we'll never know because he made Cursed instead. So I think I've made clear. My stand on Curse. We can get into plot and we can get into character, but, sure. but where does Boozy stand? On you know Curse? what? Funny enough, this is my this was my first time watching Curse. Oh, really? You've never seen it before? And you know, I think the big reason that it kind of turned me away is because, like we talked about before in the intro, there's certain kind of werewolves or werewolf movies that you know we might gravitate towards or away from. Just off the cover alone and any stills I had seen from this, I was like, this does not look like a movie I want to watch. It, it looks like one of those half-baked... I hate when they when a werewolf movie has the werewolf as a background character. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who's the werewolf? Yeah, but it's like, oh, this person got mauled in the dark or whatever. You don't really see anything, and it's not overly that interesting. Yeah. And, yeah, I actually had a decent time watching this. Uh, the... The effects were not great. <laughs> Excuse me, yes. The effects were not great. I did enjoy, since we're going to kind of jump over to the plot of this a little bit, uh, this doesn't give away anything for the ending, but I do... That's the first time I've ever seen a werewolf flip somebody off. Uh, see, at that point, I thought that was the movie flipping me off. When you see... Oh, really? When you see, like, a fully dressed head-to-toe <laughs> werewolf on screen, and it's giving you a finger, <laughs> like... Are you a beast or are you a person? I like it. I I, I guess if we could talk about the ending a little bit, like, I guess we don't have to worry about spoilers, right? Not at all. I I loved that it was kind of a misdirection, is they set up all this stuff, like uh, Jesse Eisenberg character talking about the only way to kill a werewolf is you cut its head off, you sever the brain or whatever. They went through this whole thing in the background of the art studio that they had the big final boss fight at. There was a guillotine... And, you know, you're, like, looking at you're, like, adding things up, and you're, like, that, you know, the head's gotta get cut off. And then they just fucking, they flip you off, and she gets shot in the head, and that's, and you're, like, what? Shot to death. Yeah. By cops, not even by any of our characters. Not any main character, <laughs> just, yeah, some, some boys in blue just come in and blow her away. And I was, like, oh, yeah. okay. Just a little bit of lip service to the plot, okay. Um, brother and sister, Jesse Eisenberg, playing Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> he's all yeah, yeah. he's a, uh, stumbly uh, especially in this stage in his career he was basically doing his shtick had he done anything big at this point because uh, his some like, more independent stuff Squid he never Whale, looks like Roger he ages Dodger. <laughs> yeah he did these like super independent movies okay Squid and the Whale Roger Dodger things like that but he was still always that kind of guy with that same kind he's, of delivery him and him and Michael Sarah I feel mm-hmm. have a very much the same delivery with everything well. There's actors that like are chameleons, and there are actors that are, you'll just always recognize. Yeah, I love I love Christopher Walken. 
you always know you're watching Christopher Walken, <laughs> right? He never vanishes into a role. You're never, like, transformed yeah. by it. It's just but whatever year he is we in We like playing. Christopher yeah. Walken, so we like the performance, and we uh, adapt his qualities into that character. Some actors do that, and some actors just vanish into the character. There's, you know, <laughs> your De Niro's or your Daniel Day-Lewis's or whatever. Right. You can really just rock to it. But I, that's fine. I mean, do your Eisenberg thing if it's working for him. It's working for him well enough at this point. And then we have uh, She of the Gigantic Forehead, Christina Ricci, <laughs> uh, who, you know, is increasingly shows up in a lot of these horror movies as in these sort of femme fatale or even central lead roles. Was this kind of her at her peak? Well, Because I feel like is, I don't hear about her anymore at all. The sad thing about Christina Ricci is that her <laughs> peak is arguably Wednesday Addams. That's what right, made her famous right. was being the little cute, precocious Wednesday Adams, saying the really cool one-liners, super macabre. But as a result, we all fell in love with her as this ten-year-old girl, which makes it really hard for me to see her like heavily sexualized. It's just sort of like <laughs> it's my niece or something. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> <It's just> like <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just for me. I don't, I don't know. I just have this tie to her as a, a, a younger child actor. Fair, fair. So, um, but she's always been around, but her best work always goes unrecognized. I think that she was fantastic in Monster with Charlize Theron, but no one talks about her role in that movie. It's all Charlize. Yeah, yeah Charlize kind of got everything but on that. without that supporting work, she couldn't have done what she did. Anyway, uh, she's fine. She's fine. Their brother and sister, they're on a road trip. There's a car accident. They go to help out the woman in the car. She gets mauled by a werewolf. They get mauled in the process. I really liked that intro. So that that opening bit of the movie, like starting the action fairly quickly and the fairly brutal death. That is it, Shannon Elizabeth. What's yeah, her? yeah. Uh, like again, it's a recognizable actress, and she's out of the movie right away. It's not quite Drew Barrymore from, from Scream. <laughs> they but, try, yeah. Well, but it's still somebody that you. It's not a no-name actress. It's not like yeah. You don't expect her to get completely up yeah. some unknown actress locking up the store at the end of the night. Yeah. Something bad's going to happen to her in the parking lot. No, we kind of expected maybe there'd be a little bit more to it. Um, I also think another one of the problems with Cursed is that it came out just a couple of years after Ginger Snaps did. And Ginger Snaps being such an amazing horror movie, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. And, and, and uh, you know, me being homegrown Canadian proud, I kind of felt a little bit defensive about Chris going, like, are they just going to rip off Ginger Snaps? Now, the good news is, is they didn't really rip off Ginger Snaps at all. But uh, Ginger Snaps is like the, the darker, more of the Wednesday Addams, I guess, yeah. movie. And yeah, I find this movie's a lot more plucky, yeah. I guess. Um, but Ginger Snaps is, is funnier, but darker. It's, but smarter. It's it's funnier in a straight faced way. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's more real people. You feel like yeah. I don't feel like anyone in this movie was a real person. Uh, and again, we, throughout the rolling door of, door of casting here, we lost Skeet Ulrich, and we lost Corey lo Feldman. Oh, Skeet Ulrich! I and love Skeet Ulrich. We lost Eliana Douglas, but they kept Scott Bale. <laughs> no. Right, that's what qualified as a celebrity get. At that the was time. Su it's such a strange cast. I, I don't understand their cast. <laughs> There's something kind of random about it. It's like we're shooting on Thursday. Who can we get? It, it's one of those things where it, they they got a bunch of people where if you heard their name, you'd go like, I remember that person, but you don't remember from what. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what it felt like. Where you're like, I've heard that name before. I don't like. I feel like I haven't really done an adequate job of explaining why the movie found the movie so infuriating, but. Major climactic 
portions of the movie would take place. Like when we have the, this reveal of who one of our main werewolves is and uh, she slowly transforms from her beautiful blonde self into this vicious looking werewolf in the mirror and the camera pans so that we can catch both the physical creature and its reflection and then she punches and shatters the reflection. In concept, on the page, I can see how that really works. She sees herself, watches herself transform into the beast, and then shatters the image. The problem is, is that the CGI is so laughably mm. terrible that any weight out of that scene is taken out of it. And that's a huge emotional moment from the movie. And it's one of your biggest special effects features of the movie. And it's just a rotten tooth, right? Like, <laughs> it doesn't work for me. That's an important scene to work, you know? If the car accident at the beginning was a little bit shaky or some of the exposition early in the movie wasn't as well executed as we would have hoped, we can deal with that. I the think revelation that... of your major villain and the first full screen transformation being a failure, that hurts. I, I really, yeah, no, I'll agree with that. Is Yeah, pretty much every werewolf movie, if the first transformation scene is, is iffy even, then it, it kind of makes you rocky for the rest of the yeah. film. But yeah. Um, I, I still think that the intro was really solid and it, it actually was very intense when you're watching Jesse Eisenberg try and help, I can't remember her name, Shannon Elizabeth out of the car and you're, there's that tension building where you're like, oh, something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, but it kind of, it, it slows back down too much where it got boring right after that, right. where it's Jesse Eisenberg, like reading about werewolf stuff or whatever. And then the, I know it, it comes, it becomes a callback later on, but it's, um, Christina Ritchie. Like being like, why is the front door open or whatever? And it, you know, I, I know that becomes a callback later, but it, it wasn't necessary. It yeah. felt like it, it, there was no reason for any of it. Again, apparently in the original script, there was also a boyfriend in the car. He was going to be played by Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was completely pulled out of the movie, so you kind of wonder what thread that might have yeah, turned okay. into. Like, <laughs> she had a boyfriend, but he was cut out of the movie. <laughs> um, and again, when you have that kind of interference happening on a constant level, like, I don't know that I can... Comp I think that this was like a movie made by committee, and that very rarely seems to work. There's... It's a too many cooks thing going absolutely, on. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and just too many notes. Uh, and uh, making it... We want to make it the broad, hard, you know, the super hard werewolf movie, but we want to make it PG-13. We want to make it unlike anything we've ever seen, but make it as much like Scream as you possibly can. That's, you know? that's where you could really feel it, too, is, like, they had some ep uh, great moments, but just the way that they played out, like, how they how they were written and the way they were kind of set up, you could be like, this could be really cool, but it never fully felt that way. Yeah. Like, I really liked the, um, I guess that would be the parking garage yeah. whole scene in there. I was like, that's really smart, and I liked a lot of it, but it just, it felt like something was missing, and by the end, where you have the end result, you were like, well, that wasn't great. Yeah, and that's where you see Williamson and, and the scream angle, because, uh, yeah, this one's going to be, this is a secondary character, she's in a parking garage, she's dressed as a cat yeah. <laughs> in this werewolf movie. We know that she's going to get it, and the writer knows that we know that she's going to get it, so it becomes about how's it going to be. And typically, and she does a pretty good job with her too, both of them tend to be smarter than we think it is. The werewolf looks under the cars and she's holding herself up so that her feet aren't shown. And then, yeah, the it sets off the car alarm to yeah. distract. Yeah, yeah. That was... uh, she goes and gets herself in an elevator and uh, it's trying to get her through this small opening in the elevator door and then suddenly disappears because it realizes if it runs down one flight of stairs instead of scratching through a small hole, 
it's got a much bigger... I, I did like that, though, is that, that tension of, you know, there's always that thing in movies where it's the clicking on the elevator door to close, and yeah. then whatever comes, but, like, I like that she got away, and then, yeah. yeah, it stopped after that. Yeah. But, like, that sequence by itself, for sure, but it seemed to belong to a different movie. Almost. Yeah, and I think, like, yeah, in, in general, we could say that that's a really good idea, and even on paper, that'd be a great idea, but just the way it played out, it it was kind of a letdown. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's 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 how I would feel. I felt let down. It's maybe more. Maybe I feel more let down than I should because of the degree of the talent involved. Like yeah. it just should be better than it is. And maybe if I was to watch it on another day, I'd be more forgiving to it. But I gotta say, this time around, it's done. It's <laughs> and done. then and then having the whole at the end with the whole like what would it be called like a fun house aspect where it was all these people trapped in that one area and they're all kind of getting butchered and it's it's it turns into kind of a whodunit and that was something i wasn't as interested in well I guess. like you said with the displays of these classic horror films from all over the yeah. place you'd think they'd use that nope that that guillotine one still bothers me so much because <laughs> i'm just like why would they put so much attention into showing you all this and explaining things there this is you know, one plus one. It should, you know, go right there, but it doesn't. That's it. It should have been a home run. Yeah. It was. You thought the worst was over. You thought the beast was dead. But the nightmare... Oh, my God. ...has just begun. From the creators of Ginger Snaps... What are you doing here? I'm on to you. ...comes the next chapter as one of the most terrifying werewolf tales continues. Do you feel you're not alone? In a world of eternal darkness... If you keep me here, people are gonna die. It waits... What the hell is out there? The monster. It wants to mate with me. How can you escape... How do we get out of here? It found me. ...with the evil... This is not good. This is so not supposed to be happening. He knows we're changing. ...lives in your veins. Go! One of the many surprising things about Ginger Snaps 2, on top of how good it is by sequel standards, and frankly by horror movie standards, uh, is that this kind of lightning doesn't tend to strike twice. Yeah, yeah. And what they did is they kept the characters, they kept the essential cast, and they changed everything else just enough to make it interesting. It's also very Canadian-made. We have an incredibly young Titania Maslany in it, playing this ghost character. Um, and it's a really quirky, really interesting, and in the end, pretty intense Canadian-made horror movie. I don't think it's better than Ginger Snaps, but it's a near thing. I am going to disagree with you and say I actually like two more than one. Yeah. I think just because of how dark it is and it goes into a little bit more backstory and it does something that you don't see often, especially in werewolf movies, where they discuss mating, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, they, I, I feel like they flesh out more of the uh, lycanthropy kind of, uh, what would it be, the legend of it, I guess, yeah. which that what I really liked about that. They're doing a little bit more world building here. Yes. Do you remember the name of the drug that she's addicted to, this hemlock something? Was it Wormwood? No, no, it's not Wormwood. It doesn't matter. It's it, it's a MacGuffin drug. Yeah. Uh, Bridget has been infected with the 
werewolf. That that was kind of the end of the first, first one. one. Is yeah. yeah, she kills her sister, but now she's infected. Yeah, but she can suppress it, not entirely get rid of it, but suppress it with this drug. It so kind of slows it down. Yeah. yeah. She's much less of the soft, put-upon, like, back-on-her-heels girl. She's tough as hell in this movie. But she's also got this fragile, junky look to her. Yeah. And on top of fighting this addiction, and on <coughs> top of running from her past, because presumably, you know... She can't go back she home. She can't go back because well, wasn't again. that part of the first one, is that her mother was going to help her skip town, because yeah. they'd found out that they had killed some kids. Yeah. She, yeah. she didn't know they were werewolves. Yeah. She just, she just thought they had killed somebody, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, she can't go home, and uh, she's got this werewolf chasing her, <laughs> and it wants to mate with her. Not yeah, only this, does she this not, male werewolf, yeah. yeah. So she doesn't want <laughs> she doesn't want to become a werewolf, and she doesn't want to get fucked by a <laughs> werewolf. And in the end, she ends up getting busted, having her stash confiscated, and being locked up in this mental facility. And uh, we see her basically detoxing and slowly starting to manifest these symptoms. And while she's there, the only person she really connects with, there's two. There's the head nurse, played by Jennifer Rubin, and there's this little girl ghost, who's as much of an outsider as Bridget is, and they kind of... If not even more, yeah. Yeah, Uh, and she's the one girl who seems to take Bridget's werewolfism seriously. Because of comic books. (laughs) Because she likes comic books, and she's a creative little, little, little devil. So that's the basic setup, and again, uh, we're, we're dealing with a lot of stuff that we've seen before, but in a pretty new way. Yeah, have we seen any horror movies set in a mental institution? Yeah, we have. Have we seen, you know, werewolf movies where they're trying to medicate the problem away? Yes. But not done like this. Completely different. <laughs> and one thing that has to be said about this is this movie was shot back-to-back with Ginger Snaps 3. Uh, I can't remember the name of that. Ginger one. Snaps Back. Is back, it? yeah. Because even the... Talk about a strong intro to this movie. The uh, librarian getting mauled at the start. He is also one of the um, members of the fort. Yeah, in the in the fort. Classic Canadian actor in a lot of ways. You'll see that kid in a lot. A I lot feel like of he gets murdered in a lot of movies. He's the only character in Freddy vs. Jason who's killed by Freddy. <laughs> funny but true. Uh, yeah, you see him in a lot of movies. He's really good. Fun fact: screenplay is written by Megan Martin went to high school with her. Really? Really. I don't know if she would remember me at all, but it's true. Good for her. It's the only she's this in a short film's the only thing she's got as a credit, but that I kinda, really think that kind of blows my mind because I felt like this is a strong this script. Is a very solid screenplay. Um, part of it is sort of built into the steel trap of an ending, but maybe we can work our way to that. Sure. But other things I think uh, I, I bring it up not just because I, I knew her when I was fourteen or whatever but because I think there is a very unique and helpfully feminine perspective to this. Yeah, it's it's not men writing for women in a like, oh, you're sad. If a dude had wrote, writ, had wrote, if a, if a dude had written a scene where she's in the room meditating with all the other girls and it turns Which is into a fantastic scene. Masturbation scene where she's all of a sudden being asked to masturbate yeah. with all these girls. It's this elaborate sort of fantasy sequence of sort of connects her sexuality to her animal instincts, right? But I have the feeling like if a dude wrote that, that would come off as really kind of icky and nasty. 100%, right? yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, knowing that Megan Martin wrote that, then I feel like we're all free clear. We can watch all of these <laughs> We can enjoy it, faster. and it's fine, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it's also a creepy scene, right? <laughs> it's because it's so unexpected. Yeah. 
So I I like that they do. There's a couple scenes like that where it's kind of her hallucinating, mm -hmm. and it's it kind of adds to that. Like, um, not only do the people think that she's crazy in the institution, is she kind of knows she's a little bit crazy. Yeah, which I really like that because you know you could have had a thing where it was everyone thinks she's crazy, but her when it's more or less like she's also unstable, which adds to I, I think that adds an extra touch to that. Yeah. And I feel like I might talk about this movie a lot because uh, okay. spoiler, I really enjoy this movie. That's a good, I'm, I'm not going to fight you on that. <laughs> at all. Um, um, I have to look hard to find things to complain about, and this is not—it's—it's it's a pseudo complaint. Okay. There's one character in this, and then you'll see him in every single horror movie that's set in a mental facility. The who, bad guy. The dude who will exchange drugs for sex, yep. or the dude who's just abusing the female. He's abusing his power, yeah. yeah. And again, like I think it would bother me less if I hadn't literally seen it in every other permutation of this. Yeah. And in a movie that was so full of newness, that was just that one thing that was like, oh, and here's this guy, <laughs> right? Uh, I haven't seen a character like Bridget before. I haven't seen a character like Ghost before. Especially, I think I, Ghost especially is yeah. such an interesting character. Um, I, I totally agree with you on that character because if you look at how the whole movie plays out, he probably could have been written out and you could have changed a couple things and it still wouldn't have taken away from it. Because yes, he does help them get out, but it's a lot has to do with Ghost getting getting Bridget out of the. Give the character some dimension. Maybe instead of him being completely evil, he's just too empathetic. He just can't bear to see them suffering. Yeah. Or maybe they manipulate him into getting. Maybe that you know, like, just play another angle. That's all I would. He'd asked. be the the super nice guy that can't say no or. Well, and that's not that interesting. So maybe it would be better if they pulled some sort of half-assed Ocean's Eleven heist, <laughs> they distract the guy, and then they go. And that's fair. There's there's other ways that they could go about it, and it just this seemed like the easiest option in a movie that wasn't all about taking the easy options. Fair. Uh, that's the thing that like I really respect about. It. I th is it Jennifer Rubin? I don't want to say I got that wrong. Who's playing the? Uh, we're gonna say it's Jennifer Rubin, or else I'll fix it later. <laughs> Um, she plays the uh, woman who's uh, in charge of seeing to the mental health of all of these girls. Yeah, well, and they gave her a backstory. They gave her like she used to be one of these girls. She yeah, she used to be a junkie. So every time Bridget has like a, a reason for a certain thing, she's like, no, no, it's because you're an addict. Which I actually like that touch is that she's not just going like you're stuck here. She's like, no, you're trying to deal with your. And she's a character from the real world, existing in this horror movie. Yes. Right? Uh, if she was to like call bullshit on the werewolf stuff, I wouldn't say, "Oh my God, why aren't you taking them seriously?" <laughs> because she seems grounded in reality, and in reality, you wouldn't be able to convince me you were a werewolf with a conversation. If, if it just I wouldn't be able to, yeah. Help. If we were at an asylum and there was an addict who had just come in, and they're like, "There's a werewolf chasing me," I'd be like, "All right, sure, of buddy. course, yeah." <laughs> we're gonna make sure that werewolf stays far. <laughs> we'll lock the doors. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have an anti-werewolf blanket for you. But, yeah, exactly. And because she's grounded in reality, we don't dislike that character. In fact, I think we really like her. Yeah. Uh, and, and, again, she's not this Miss Ratchet character that in a lot of these other movies she would have been. I really like that uh, Bridges' character is at odds with everyone else because she doesn't... She isolates herself on purpose because she knows that she's changing and I really like that and especially it's it's played through the trailer of this movie but I think it's a great scene is when they do that round circle where everybody's talking and you know the 
the, I can't remember the one lady's like, let's hear a little bit about Bridget and your best case scenario. You know what I mean? When she's talking about her best case scenario yeah. <laughs> and explaining about basically her transformation. And then all that the care, uh, the, the lady who's overseeing this rights is lesbian question mark and then <laughs> underlines it. And again, solid, funny line, but not, it's not, over. yeah, it's not over the top. It's just a little funny, quirky, thing, yeah. which, which again, is like something that technically a real person might do. Like, and, Instead of listening to this whole thing, like, yeah, of course you're a werewolf, they just wrote lesbian question mark. And it's totally on point, because the original was full of macabre humor as well. Um, I think this maybe has less of it, but it still tries to pay lip service. To yeah, it. and they, they did a fine enough job with, because not a ton of this movie actually is in the asylum, it's, it's towards Ghost's grandmother's house, but they did a good enough job in building the characters that they needed to, so when they escaped... You would understand, you know what I mean? Like, you had enough of every character. I felt handled by the filmmakers, which is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to like Jennifer Rubin's character, so when bad things happened to her, I really felt it. I was supposed to like Ghost, so when spoilers, that betrayal takes place, it stings. Which, oh man, that is, I, I find that would was such an amazing, when, when you finally find out that like, oh, there was an ulterior motive to her and everything that she's done to help your main character the whole way. When you're like, oh, you were helping the pro protagonist to get your own end. Yeah. Well, let's get into her. Titania Maslany, who's found a lot of fame with Orphan Black in her mm -hmm. later life. And she was also in a small role in Diary of the Dead. Just putting that out there. Uh, she's been working actress in Canada for basically her whole life, it seems like. And uh, I haven't seen Orphan Black. So I don't I don't think I have either. Uh, but in that move, show, she's playing like clones. I think she gets to play a different mm -hmm. character every week. So I guess that just means that Ghost will have to be her second most interesting character. Because <laughs> this little sweet little girl, we kind of we just always see her drawing her little pictures, and we hear the story that the, her grandmother had died in a bad fire, and that was her only parental. Yeah. 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 So she's here until they can figure out what they're gonna do with her, and. Uh, you know, she's traumatized, so she's... And her dog gets killed. Yeah, all of this terrible stuff, and, was, and she connects with Bridget, so... And Bridget needs someone to connect to. Like, she's talking to her sister in dreams. I don't think we've even addressed Catherine Isabel. Catherine, uh, yeah, Catherine she's, Isabel is... Ginger's still in the movie, but she's a ghost or her conscience Apparition. I, or... Yeah, I... I <laughs> she's definitely not real at any point, but she is, like, a secondary voice kind of... I, digging into Bridget's brain about what's going on. When Bridget's mania gets to a point that she needs to talk to someone, she, mm -hmm. quote, talks to her sister. Exactly. Um, and that's that's continuing that bond from the first movie, which is a nice touch. But seeing her connect with this, even this little girl, is like, well, that's going to be so good for her. She needs this. And as it turns out, it's the fucking worst the thing worst that possible. happened. Yeah. It made her situation, which from the very first moments of this movie were terrible, to... Even worse, and they leave us there, and that's it. I I do like kind of when Bridget has that moment where she's like, "Oh, what was? How did they figure out that that ghost was? It was because her mother, her grandmother, never smoked, and yeah. that they said that was the reason that yeah, because they had what was it a no smoking sign or something, and that's kind of when they you do that like oh yeah the connect the dots thing. She'd been drawing this mag comic book with herself as this sort of super powerful either hero or witch or whatever she wants to think of herself and now she has captured herself this beast yeah trapped in the basement of that house oh my yeah she can't get out and she's just going to invite people over and feed them to this werewolf it's the last thing bridget wanted in fact the last thing she said before banished down to that basement is 
kill me. That's... A very um, Ripley from Alien Resurrection moment. <laughs> but I mean, she fought for as long as she could possibly fight. She's mid-transformation, and she's been betrayed by the one person. I that did she like loved. that whole... Um... What would, what would you call it? Like a home alone kind of situation where the, the male werewolf finally shows up, tracks him down, and they're going through the house and they have all the traps and everything yeah. set. One of my favorite scenes actually is our, our bad guy from the, I can't remember his name, the bad guy from the asylum shows up to bring Bridget back right. and they send him out to, what was it, start the generator, I believe? That was a great, so <laughs> feed him to the, that to was the, a great scene. Wolf. Again, and that's uh, one of these things those characters are used for. A, we don't like him, so when he dies, we don't have to feel devastated or emotionally hurt. In fact, sometimes we get uplifted by it. That's true. But, but then again, you realize that gimme. he actually was kind of trying to help. In, in his in, way. In his way, yeah. But yeah, what a dark ending to that film. Yeah. And and I kind of like that we'll never know. They're, they're not going to make another one. That's no. that's for sure. But like I, I kind of like that they left it on... What did you know? What does Ghost do with Bridget now? Well, like, yeah. In my version of events, because I just don't like the idea of Bridget spending the rest of her life in that basement. Another male werewolf is going to get her sent and come to that house Fair. sooner See, that's, or later. That's something interesting to explore in that universe is how many are there? Because in the first one, it's so contained, you're going to go, there's only one yeah. werewolf, right? And then in two, they go, there's, there's multiple. Yeah. Well, it's tricky to like, maybe they're territorial or they spread out or something like that. Because in three, like, there's tons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we go back in time. But that's a conversation for another day. Horror movie sequels have a terrible, terrible track record. So when you find a movie with the number two behind it that is a horror movie, I say shout it to the sky. <laughs> uh, plus, it's Canadian. I respect it. Uh, shot both in Ontario and in Alberta. And great special effects. And uh, yeah, there's an uptick in the production across the board from Ginger Snaps 1. I think the success of that one allotted them more of a budget. For oh, for sure. Two. Yeah. But bravo, people. Like, it's way better than it has any business being. And, and this is, yeah, the, the, before we, we move on to the next one, is this is one of my favorite werewolf designs because I think, with especially with the male werewolf, from the first one to the second one... They've has, come a long way. They've, it, it has a more pronounced snout. It looks way more vicious. Like, when you see it, you're like, ooh, that is scary. Not to be fucked with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on his first trip to Paris, Andy McDermott is looking for a little danger. Andy! Doing? I'll show you guys a stun you'll never top. But tonight... Andy, this is madness. You're gonna get yourself killed. There's nothing more dangerous than falling for the wrong girl. No, don't! Talk about the woman of my dreams. She's obviously whack. Kind of girl jumps off the Eiffel Tower has issues, man. Major issues. You mustn't get involved. It's much too dangerous, believe me. You must go before it's too late. I was attacked by this big, wild dog. You were bitten. You're already changing. It was not a dog. It was a werewolf. <laughs> Now you have become one too. <laughs> I'm not a wolf! <laughs> 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 
few lessons of value that I've learned from watching American Werewolf in Paris is that if I'm ever super stressed out, I want Julie Delpy to cool my shit down. <laughs> you, I saw this movie at such a young age that, like, I, I'm pretty sure, like, I popped one of my first boaters to that scene. <laughs> where, like, that was enough for me. Yeah, I, I, If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I'm sure we'll get to what it. What a great way to start that. Here's the thing. Um, I hated, hated this movie when I first saw it. Like... Like, angry hate. But the problem is, is that I love An American Werewolf in London. The John Landis movie is, like, it's one of my near perfect. Favorite, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite horror movies of the 80s. And the 80s was, like, when they made horror movies. <laughs> that was right? a, 80s was a gold mine. <laughs> right? So, uh, it, in my mind, it had big shoes to fill. And I talked about in the opening, that transformation sequence, Right. I don't, I don't think there would be, and not to say that I completely hate this movie, but I don't think there's any possible way to make a sequel to American Werewolf in London. I don't think there was. Right. Well, and that was the that was just a mistake. It was just a mistake. But when I watched it the second time, and this was, again, like, like a, a, over ten years later. Yeah. Right? Uh, I watched it again for this podcast, basically. Uh, I said, okay, pretend this isn't a sequel. To an American werewolf in, in London. Pretend it's just it's its just own, yeah. a 90s werewolf movie. And from that perspective, I was able to soften the edge of my hate. I don't hate the movie. I just hate that it's a sequel to an American werewolf in <laughs> London. It turns out it does have its own kind of goofy charm in its sort of sloppy 90s grungy way. And... They do at least try to wink at the surreal humor of I, the first movie. I think that sometimes they tried too hard to be funny. Right. Well, and it's not just that there was a comedy. It's just that the style of comedy in the first movie was... It wasn't ha-ha funny. It was, like, funny odd. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right? it was... Like, the, the so much of the humor in the, in American Werewolf is uh, dry. Very dry humor where you're like, oh, that's that's actually very clever. Yeah. Whereas this movie's more... And it's very... It's very 90s. It's very in-your-face about being funny. Flannel jacket 90s. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, Seattle Sound 90s. Like... <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. But you it's like blaming an eighties movie for bad hair. It's just true the, the way true. the time it was made in. Um I kind of connected a little bit more to the bromance between those three guys this time. I li- I like that actually. I I like these you know, the skeletal story of this movie I thought is a really good idea. I I like the idea of the all... have a secret club in the Paris catacombs where every now and then they collect a bunch of American tourists. And for a big them. yeah, for a big party, they they go under the guise of a big party, yeah, and then they they ritualistically eat them. On a concept level, I have zero problem with that. Yep. I really, really do. Um, I think the opening sequence with them climbing the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower, Tower to, to do a jump bungee off. jump, yeah, uh, it's both silly in concept and a little bit sloppy in execution. I think that that injury would have killed him completely. Like that's not I, going to the hospital. That's your head is now shattered. <laughs> but uh, it just sets up. He sees Julie Delpy try to take her life. He happens to be all cabled see, up. And, oh and my he dives God. to save her. Yeah. And uh, in a very Cinderella way, he comes back with just one of her shoes, right? Or, yeah. So 
again, the setup is a little bit wonky, and right away, it's so far from being an American Werewolf in London. I feel like, I and I don't know who wrote this, but it feels so much like a 16-year-old's wet dream. <laughs> the whole idea of, yeah, we're, we're going to bungee jump with my buddies off the Eiffel Tower, and I'm going to catch this girl, and yeah. And then the, yeah, like that scene you're talking about where he's in bed, like yeah. that whole thing, it feels like somebody wrote it as like a wet dream. Yeah. Well, but it's also the theater of the uncomfortable, which the first movie did deal in. Uh, what I was making reference to at the top of the review is uh, when he first meets the Julie Delphi character for the second time, she kind of tries to play him off, like stopping so aggressive, but really she's trying to protect her, him from her. Um, I'm, yeah, you don't want to mess with me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't let the claws come out. Yeah, I'm so complicated. But after he is wounded and he is basically in the same situation she is, she has to make him aware of the new rules of existence. And he wakes up, and she's laying next to him in bed, and he starts freaking out, and she says, well, will this relax you? And grabs his hands and puts him on her breasts, and just continues to talk to the story. And he's like, what in the actual fuck is happening? I'm not going to fight this, but what is Yeah, he's like, he's like, okay, fine, whatever, say what you want. And then we jump to this other thing, again, taken from the original movie, that the werewolf can talk to the victims, the people that he's killed. She killed her mom. So her dead mom is constantly in the room talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's just my mom. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so you're in bed with this naked woman and the ghost of her mom's watching. And then doesn't he try and introduce himself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and my God. Like, that moment, this time around, I was like, that is really fucking weird. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and if it had more of those, I think it might have maybe won me over completely. In the end, I still don't think it's an amazing movie. But I think I was way, way too hard on it when it came out in 1996. I also, the the scene where he woos that girl at the restaurant after eating his steak and everything, <laughs> it reminds me, like, it's hard to, it reminds me of, do you remember when Peter Parker gets the the Venom symbiote mm-hmm. in the, I think that was Spider-Man 2 or th- no, it's 3. Yeah, yeah and he, he all of a sudden slicks his hair back and he, yeah. That, those two seem so parallel to each other in, like, doing the same thing where it's like, I'm a cool guy all of a sudden. Yeah, and he picks up the girl and they're making out in a graveyard for whatever fucking reason. <laughs> and the, the detective's following them with his dog and then he, the, the guy realizes that he's transforming so he just runs away yeah. and then hunts them down after. That, it was just nonsense. Like, <laughs> But watchable nonsense? It was fine. I, you know what? I, I agree with you. The first time I watched it, I hated it. And this time I was kind of like, yeah, this is funny. It's it's whatever. It's a time filler. It's not something that you would need to seek out. This is nobody's favorite movie. I'm no. just going <laughs> to... Right, right. right. And again, like, as goofy as the beginning is at the end, the ending, like, it was more than rolling my eyes. Yeah. And right. I think we set up at the start of this saying that we, you know, special effects can ruin mm-hmm. certain movies for this. Holy shit, were these bad. Yeah. Really bad. Even for mid-90s CGI, this yeah. was not good. This, and oh. that's the unforgivable sin in a lot of ways, because they were sparing with the werewolf in uh, uh, the first movie, but when they showed the werewolf, it always looked amazing. <laughs> like, amazing every time. This movie gives us so much werewolf, but it almost never looks amazing. It, the, it, yeah, and they, they, like, the... 
I, I can't explain how bad the werewolf looks, where it looks like uh, kind of the, the daytime TV documentaries when they have to show a certain scene, and you'll see the CGI, whatever, and you're like, okay, I can forgive this because it's a low-production daytime TV thing. Whereas you're watching this big-budget movie, and you're seeing the same kind of effects, where you're like, I don't like this at all. It seemed like a cinematic from a video game. Once you passed a level, all of a sudden... This is the weird cutscene. Yeah, they'd show you the cutscene of the werewolf escaping, and you would totally accept that in a video this, game. This, yeah, it's like a PS1. Yeah. That's, that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah. and, and again, at the time, maybe it looked better. I don't. I remember thinking it looked terrible in 97. I, yeah, <laughs> like, I can't imagine even then being like, these are passable. Would a dude in a suit have been that much worse? I, I know that a lot of people want to get away from the dude in the suit, and like sometimes a completely CGI character will work for me 100%, but I always feel like splitting the difference is the way to go. You want to see it pounce off of a building? You go ahead and use CGI. You want to show us it biting someone's throat? Build a pup. Puppets, close-ups, not fully showing anything. I think the scene I'm thinking of in particular where I thought it was awful is when our main character is in the catacombs, and he hears something coming around the corner, and you get a full-on shot of the werewolf walking. Rounding over. Yeah, rounding over, where you could do a close-up or a side angle where you only see like a little bit of the face with a, a puppet. A silhouette would have done the job. And then you switch to first person. You don't have to show the werewolf running around. You do a POV shot of what the werewolf is seeing, <laughs> and then if you need to show a kill, you go to another close-up with the puppet. Yeah. That cuts out all of that showing the full thing, and it like it it's... Even color-wise, it everything else is dark in the catacombs, and you have this like brightly colored werewolf, and you're like, it doesn't fit. Yeah. I also liked that the ghosts in this one are worked back into it in a fairly. They play the comedic role again. Yeah. Uh, the sort of bitchy girl from the from the the slutty bitchy girl from the graveyard. Anyone who's going to agree to sleep. Didn't with she a say she she just graveyard. had her nails done? Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and of course, one of his buddies has been killed too, and they're sort of following around, but. They can't stand each other. It's like that their limbo they're, is made they're, they're worse. The bickering, yeah. <laughs> they're like, "We'll take care of your thing after we take care of mine." Yeah. And when he kills the werewolf that indeed had killed his buddy, his buddy ascends. We yeah. never got to see that with the Griffin Dunn character. We just exactly. It. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, it was kind of nice that they acknowledged that end of it. At the very least, I can say they paid attention to the first movie. But I, I, I wonder. It's again, it was just like a bad idea. Like if if Book of Trespasses did super well and someone said, Bravo, Larry, here, here's a bunch of money. Make a sequel to the thing. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Like, you don't want to say no to a directing job and like that the platform people will see it, but we just don't need a sequel to yeah. the thing. But dude. at what cost? <laughs> and uh, I might get to make this movie, but I, uh, but, uh, <laughs> I will be assassinated. Yeah. <laughs> I will be assassinated by the Carpenter fans, right? But that's what this feels like to me. It was like, maybe it was a bunch of guys making the best of a tough situation. Maybe they approached with the script, maybe they didn't, I'm making this shit up. But I like to think that someone was hired to do an American Werewolf in Paris, and they did the best that they I, I feel like it was one of those things where it was rushed, where they were like, hey, we have the rights to do a sequel, 
let's get this out the door because it has enough name value. We're going to make back whatever we spend either way. But it can't be rushed if it's a sequel made 16 years after the original. No, but I, I'm thinking it's one of those things where they, they bought the rights right. from whoever had it before. You know what I mean? And it's like, we, we got window. this. We yeah. have a window. Yeah, let's and it's, it. it's kind of slow right now. And, you know, let's say it's August. They're like, well, we got a slow release for this. Let's throw that in there. I've been kind to the movie, but I do want to stand by. It's a negative review. I also want to mention John Landis has given the green light to his son to do a remake. Which worries, yes, which worries American me. Werewolf in London. And when they asked why he thought it was okay to do this remake, instead of just saying he wanted to give his son a job, which is my suspicion, <laughs> he said, well, they already made a sequel, and that movie was a piece of shit. <laughs> and From his mouth to our Have you ears. ever listened to, to any of his interviews? Landis? Oh, yeah. he's hilarious. I love him. I, I think he's amazing. And, I, you know, listening to him speak, even about that movie, you can see where a lot of the humor comes from, just how he is as a person. Yeah. And I am not surprised in the least that he could just, you know, be like, this is a terrible, terrible movie. He wrote Werewolf when he was a teenager. Yeah. You know, like... He didn't get it made until he was almost 30, but he wrote it in his teens. And that, to me, just says that dude's all right. <laughs> and uh, I guess the one other thing we didn't really mention, because we kind of did at the start, is about the the gang? What would you call it? Like, the werewolf? They seemed like the Russian mob. Yeah. <laughs> but they're... It's like a cult of werewolves. Yeah, but it was so nonsensical. And, and then they had the end where it was playing, like, weird, funky music, and they were all changing. And... They were certainly not subtle about what they were doing. Like, no. The entire police squad of Paris must be completely ignorant and not, you know, put two and two together. But I don't think it's that type of movie. If you're no. willing to turn your brain off and watch any werewolf movie, here's another one. And again, I don't hate it as much as I used to, but I can't recommend it. There's there's so many weird parts, like the dad being a werewolf and then they kill him off screen, I believe, and all that. Well, he was killed in the first moments of the movie. We just didn't know who he was. At the yeah. Point. It's fine. It's a, uh, okay, well, before we're done, the ending. The ending. The callback oh. to the start with them jumping off. and the, the Statue of Liberty. They go bungee jumping off of the Statue of Liberty, and I rolled my eyes so hard I had oh. to, like, go see a doctor to get them back straight. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, that was the most obvious thing you could have done. That was your big cheering. Yeah, we're... Well, and it is disjunctive. For all of the things that I said in its defense, like, the original movie stuck true to the format. You get bit by a werewolf, you're fucked. You either embrace being a monster or you die. And this movie's like, nope, they get cured, they get married. Life is great. Fuck that. <laughs> you are the most fearless warrior I have ever seen. But you will learn to be loyal without the loyalty between us. We are no better than the beasts at our door. are the immortal damned vampire and lichen one born into privilege Sonia you risk too much for a father to ignore I'm quite capable of looking after myself the other bred for slavery Lucian you are a credit to your race but all that is about to change Sonia if I were to leave would you come with me my father would hunt you down you have stung me with your betrayal I've lived by their rules my entire life. I've protected them. Envied them. And for what? I had to be treated like an animal. We are not animals! Is this what you want? 
We can be slaves, or we can be... Lycans! Okay, says Hollywood, here's an idea. Let's make an Underworld movie, but let's not have Kate Beckinsale in it. <laughs> wow, like, it's different, we'll give you that. Well, here's the thing. By removing Kate Beckinhotty, and <laughs> I, I do find her incredibly, like, uncomfortably attractive, uh, we move the narrative back into history. Uh, and we get to learn about the relationship between the vampires and the werewolves. The, the way I look at this movie is... Uh, I can't remember who the director for is Because he did most of these, did he not? He wrote most of them, I'm pretty sure. This is Patch Totopoulos. Because wasn't he married to Kate Beckinsale as well? No, I believe that's Doug Lyman. Oh, was, yeah, Lyman. I think it was Doug Lyman. Sorry. Name. I'm going to get it wrong. But so. like, I feel like because they're all in the same universe is... Whoever wrote this watched... Uh, Lord of the Rings Part 2 which is the Battle of Helm's Deep and went this is really cool let's replace orcs with werewolves yeah that's and it. people that's with vampires that's all it, it. it's a big giant Battle of Helm's Deep that's all it looks like to me it's Len Wiseman Len Wiseman Doug okay. Wiseman is a different director Len Wiseman was the guy who does a lot of these underworld movies and is married to or was I think they're divorced now um, it's funny because you've ripped that right out of my head. To me, at its best, what this movie is, is a reimagining of, like, yeah, Helm's Deep only yep. replace the, both sides with vampires and, and werewolves. And that action sequence by itself has got a lot of awesome to it, I'm not going to lie. In fact, a lot of the stuff with the medieval warfare and the medieval I fighting... I thought a lot of it was fine. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to say this. While they're fighting... I have very few complaints. It's when they're it talking. It stops yeah. and they start talking for a long time. And this romance between Michael Sheen and Rona Mitra, if this was the first installment, maybe there would have been some suspense to it. But yeah. there's just no fucking way. You cannot know where this is going. If you don't know where that romance is going, then you've never it's watched the, a movie it's or the read fucking story. Romeo and Juliet. Absolutely, yeah. right? But I really do like the idea of the Lycans as like this slave race that spent generations <laughs> babysitting the, the vampires while they slept, who finally get a taste they, of their power. Yeah, they, they get fed up with their shit. And, and they break have, their chains, and it's hard not to cheer for the werewolves, even have though you they're seen bad motherfuckers. all of these movies? I'm not sure if I'm proud to say it, but I have seen everything up to Blood Wars. Okay, I have seen all of these, and... Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I think this one is the best one out of all of them. I don't. I'd have to. I'd have to do an underworld retrospective. <laughs> well, while the other ones felt like kind of a, a lame rip off of the Matrix, I find a lot of the like these like somebody watched the Matrix and the same idea where it's like let's replace it with vampires and lichens. Where I find that this one, the action scenes make up for so much of because the story is interchangeable it could have been any characters and you would have been like that's fine the the action and a little bit of what they set up that way is really interesting and I find the the only thing I don't like is the transformation scenes well it's very CGI but it's, it's not so, as bad it's so quick though they're it's just instant, instant. which seems too easy yeah right? it seems almost too easy um, I kind of feel about the Underworld franchise similarly to how I feel about the Resident Evil franchise 
I don't watch them because they're good. Yes. I watch yeah. them because they're, they're kind they're of awesome. They're set pieces? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... like, they're spectacle, but, like, I have to apologize to my brain afterwards and go <laughs> read something. Like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for big budget zombies, so Resident Evil will do that for sure. me. And then, you know, this one's got werewolves and vampires and usually Kate Beckinsale in tight leather pants, right? <laughs> so, I mean... You can watch it with the sound off if you want this, to. This has to be, in terms of... This is the werewolf franchise in terms of being the big overblown one. I can't think of any other ones that are like this. But in, this is an exception in that it's very werewolf-centric. All of yeah. the other ones very much focus on the vampires. Yeah, exactly. And the werewolves are more villains or, or obstacles. Uh, in this one, we get to see their... their backstory i've always thought michael sheen was a really good actor and i've always thought he was way beneath doing these underworld movies it was one of these high profile roles that were good for his career but like he's it, it just looks, capable this is the frost nixon dude, yeah right? this like, this is looks good on his resume and it makes his bank account happy yeah and i probably didn't you know ask him to stretch too much although i shouldn't underwrite how difficult it is to star in like a special effects heavy movie yeah like all of those amazing special effects were there for us to see but when they shot it not so much <laughs> and the more special effects you're dealing with the harder it is to make it credible right <laughs> and there's so much going on in this movie a lot I, like um i think what one of the really cool scenes is when the they're transporting the slaves to the uh vampire castle and the all the lichens come out and are attacking them and they're like they're burrowing underground and everything i thought that was like there's so much going on just their their, their battle tactics yeah too. exactly cool. running on the walls and everything and i remember thinking watching the first uh, underworld like uh uh, it's kind of weird seeing werewolves and vampires shooting at each other. <laughs> and I still think that's kind of weird, but like, well, we didn't have to deal with this for this particular installment. Yeah. <laughs> so bravo to that. I, I, I find it also another thing is they kind of bend the rules in terms of what lichens, lichens can change whatever they want. They can, you know, uh, that's something that I found interesting is it, it's kind of that, uh, I guess like Dragon Ball Z power up thing where they're randomly just like, Bleh! And all of a sudden, they're liking. Well, and I found a similar thing actually happened in the first of the Planet of the Apes revisionist trilogy, right? <laughs> Where there's the one smart monkey, and just by association, like some of the... Uh, I mean, he doses them, but all of a sudden, all of the other monkeys start to be able to talk and start... He was raised by humans, right? Yeah. And for some reason, it just catches with the other monkeys. And I think, in a simplistic way, they did that with the werewolves. Basically, Michael Sheen's one of the few werewolves who can speak. There's that huge black dude whose voice is so deep. He, he, he was the like... slave. Yeah, he was one of the slaves that they were transporting that managed to break free of his chains, but did actually become a lycan. His voice is so crazy, I thought it was augmented. But <laughs> I think that dude just sounds like that. And I've seen him in a couple other things. I can't remember, though. But he usually plays kind of a villainous in between. He's a yeah. big dude. He is uh, very imposing. I also like that we got Bill Nye back. Uh, he was killed in the first Underworld yeah. <laughs> movie quite memorably, actually. That was one of my favorite bits of that movie. But uh, He was the big boss battle at the that's end. That's right. Yeah. But uh, here he is back and in control and uh, quite intimidating. It's nice to see that he got some more backstory. Mm -hmm. So you build on that character. So yeah, when you do watch the first Underworld, you'll be like, oh yeah, he actually is a pretty and, big badass. And it's significant that he dies because he's lived for generations. Yeah. And you know, yeah, he does have this rich history. But... Yeah, I go back to where I started. The special effects, the action, the spectacle, if you're into the Underworld universe, that works for me. The court intrigue with the vampires, you know, conspiring to... 
lead to let people escape or, um, you know, Rooney Mitra bitching with her dad or <laughs> stealing kisses with her boyfriend yeah. in the cell Dad, block. quit it! Yeah. Uh, if I hadn't seen that story a million times before, if it was the first time I saw that story, maybe I would have been impressed by it, but yeah. just so it wasn't. So, again, it's just like, stop smooching and somebody fucking kills somebody. <laughs> and I think that's, <laughs> I think that, like, they kind of, they knew that. That's why they had to pad it with so much action. Is they're like, well, we need to give them something of a story. It can't be. And again, you're absolutely right. If the whole thing was just werewolves fighting vampires, Helm's Deep style, yeah. I would just be like, at some point, could you maybe stop and tell a story? Yeah. Who are but any of these people? <laughs> again, I think I go to this movie with uh, uh, my brain on a different setting. You know? Yeah. Um, I can't forgive all of them, but I'm a, an apologist to most of the Die Hard franchise. Not because they're great movies, but because I enjoy watching them when I'm in the mood to watch Die Hard, right? And if you're in the mood to watch an Underworld movie, this is one of the better of them. But yeah, I'd it's, say I, it's my favorite, and, and it is for the Battle of Helm's Deep thing. Yeah, you're not going to learn anything from it. No. You're not going to remember it, but I don't think you'll regret your time. It also... <laughs> in the, the faintest yeah. of praise. <laughs> in like, the grand scheme of the whole movies, it... It gives you backstory, but at the same time, it doesn't add a lot to the overall saga of those films. Well, Kate Beckinsale had some serious drama she <laughs> needed to make, and uh, they wanted to keep this franchise a rolling. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I say make one more Underworld movie so it can like finish on a nice round six and on the, a plot that makes a little bit more sense than Blood Wars. Did. No, that was such a mess. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then just. Let it let it be done. <laughs> uh, again, like again, I go back to the Resident Evil thing. It's like when I get around to finding them in a cheap bin, I will catch up with the next chapter of Underworld. I'm a fan, but I'm not like ooh ooh, give me more, give me more. I, I yeah, I remember when that last Resident Evil came out, and then I would see like the previous one would be on like television on HBO or you know whatever station, and you're like, oh, it's already gotten to this point. And yeah, just watching them, like I don't know who any of these characters are, and it really doesn't matter. It's interchangeable action. Yeah. You know, and then you'll have like whatever a quote unquote main character die, and you're like, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> and basically, just devised your taste. Do you like zombies and Hadi Milošovic? Yeah. Or do you like werewolves and vampires and Hadi Beckinsale? They're both gonna get swords. They're both gonna get guns. They're way better <laughs> than everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's an is what it is movie. Yeah. It's almost review proof. I think you know you either already watched and put you know. Put it behind you, <laughs> or well, that, you know what you're in for, th and when the day comes, you can make your own choice. You know? That's kind of the thing, is you can never say, like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. People did care in putting into this movie. It looks good. Yep, it's just, it, it definitely is. It's a stuck-in-neutral movie. Mm -hmm. If you like action or whatever, you're going to enjoy it. It's not going to be, you know, no one's favorite movie, <laughs> once again, talking about that, is no one's favorite movie is going to be Rise of the Lycans. It's, it's a fine film, I guess. I often say, like, for movies, you have to be with it to really appreciate this one. If your head's in your phone, yeah. you're not going to be into this movie. This movie, you can dick around on your phone while you watch. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> A house on the edge of the woods. Out here it's safe and peaceful. A family alone. Mom? Yes, sweetheart? Can you leave the door open a crack? A favorite uncle who needed their help. Things haven't been going so good for me since I got back to this. You could come stay with us. But when they invited him in... I think I better keep my eye on you. They let in something they could never imagine. 
ever escape. comes from some interesting pedigree. Uh, it's written by the same guy who did this movie called The Hitcher in the 80s. A little-known film called The Hitcher? Uh, uh, well, some people know it better than others. I'm old. Um, he's kind of an interesting dude. He has usually a little bit of a mean spirit to his, his screenplays. But it's also... Darker undertones. It's also based off of... I don't know. I wanted to say young adult novel, but maybe it's just a novel called Thor. I could see it as a very young adult because when you when you take out the werewolf aspects of this movie, it is a very young adult kind of film. But Thor, the character, is the pet dog. Yes, the the, the, ger- the beautiful beautiful German Shepherd. Yeah. To... Uh, and in the book, the dog is the main character. So it's, it's hard his point of view. Pretty much, huh. it's like basically the new guy comes to the family and he knows there's something up with him and he's trying to let everybody know, but it's not happening. Now, from a motion picture standpoint, it would have been really interesting if they'd gone that way. And I almost, part of me almost thinks like missed opportunity. What could have been? Yeah. yeah. But instead, they're going to obviously focus on the human characters. Michael Perry is having a intimate moment with his girlfriend in a tent in, in a some jungle, s- some jungle jungle somewhere. And they had to let you know by all the traditional garbs that everyone <laughs> yeah. was wearing. Uh, they are attacked by some terrible beast. She is killed. He is wounded. What a great mauling. I <laughs> loved that. The movie sort of lets you know right away, okay, this is a horror movie and it is rated R. If you do not like it, change the channel right now. <laughs> here's some boobs, here's a whole bunch of gore, and they did not sh- shy away from showing that this thing was destroying his girlfriend. Yeah. And then right Shreds. away, yeah, and that definitely had to have been the last scene because they, they show the werewolf getting its head like not just shot like obliterated obliterated yeah that had to have been like the last thing that they did for this movie so interestingly uh the psychology he puts to it is that he thought maybe he'd be safe with his family the love of his family would somehow protect them because all other routes have not worked for him yeah so he just returns home He, he goes to stay with his sister and her son uh, well, th- the reason for that is because the where he's parked his lovely trailer home, yeah. a bunch of surveyors have gone missing. So he's like, I better get out of here. <laughs> I better be someplace that is safe. Yeah. And it's interesting, Like we can maybe talk about the Michael Perry character uh, as to how much he's fighting this in a given scene. Because sometimes I feel kind of sympathetic towards him, and other times he kind of... He has such an interesting character arc, is that towards the end he becomes 100% a villain. Yeah. And then the very last scene, not to give too much away, because we'll get there, is that he once again becomes sympathetic. Well, he wants to be killed at the end. Yeah, which is... But by that point he's done a lot of evil, and he's sort of willingly done some of that evil. Yeah, you, you do see that he changes even towards, like, because Thor goes from annoying him to, like, kind of hunting him, and he kind of, like, he wants to kill the dog, and he actually wants to kill the family after. I think what's being implied here is that in the same way that Thor can sense that he's an enemy, yeah, he can sense in his bones that Thor is an enemy. Yeah. And I keep on talking about Thor because I really do wish that Thor was still the main character. 
I think the dog might have been in a lot of ways maybe a stronger actor than Mary Lambert. <laughs> I'm glad you got to that because okay, um, how do I explain her? She's not awful, but I just don't feel the stakes of the situation with her. Uh, as a parent, if I think that my son is at risk of being rended into pieces by a monster, yeah, I think that the emotional range on my face would maybe be a little I, bit. More. And you know what? I I don't want to like say anything negative about her face, but it looks like the side of a climbing wall and has just about as much emotion. <laughs> you know, like the the rock climbing walls you go to yeah. rent out or whatever. She's not super expressive, and that's the thing. Like I've seen Muriel Hemingway and other things, and. Maybe she just wasn't in on being in a werewolf movie, or there was some extenuating circumstances, but she doesn't seem fully in it. Yeah, like, I, I find even the kid, like, outacts her in quite a bit of this, because even his him showing, like, his regard towards Thor and being, you know, worried about it, when she's kind of just like, oh, you yeah. know. And yeah, the kid definitely being torn. He he's missing a father figure, and having the uncle there will replace that. But his uncle's like doing all this super shady shit and yeah. getting his dog and thrown to the pound. So this movie came out a year before American Werewolf in Paris, right? And I have to say that this is also one of my favorite designs for a werewolf. Fantastic! I love that the face is fully. The suit's awesome. Incredible. Yeah, like, uh, there's a close-up where it shows uh, the werewolf's face, I believe, when it's in a- attacking the... What, the what? lawyer dude? Or the, the lawyer... The scammer. The right? scammer, yeah. yeah. And, and it like, its eyebrows are moving, its expression changes, and you can, you know, you can kind of tell that there's the electronic, or the animatronics, like, pushing up certain areas, yeah. but it looks fantastic. And it's a fully articulated mask. They do... They split the difference. Yeah. For the transformation... They do lean on the CGI. and Transformation is a little weak. I but once he's the wolf, I believe the wolf. Yep, 100%. And that is very important to me. Um, I can forgive that. And like I say, they started with prosthetics on his face. Mm-hmm. And then just to morph him full into the wolf, they leaned into the CGI for a few seconds. They didn't make a huge fuss of it. They also, they didn't stick on it for too long, which is good because you can tell, you know, you're watching, you're like, oh, that's not great, but they don't hold on to it long enough for you to really analyze it, I guess. And once you've seen it once, you kind of know. Yeah, you don't have to worry, you don't have to see every transformation. Yeah, Yeah. which is, I think, something that a lot of filmmakers would be tempted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting because we kind of feel for this guy and yet his tactics are highly questionable. And he he, ties himself to a tree in the forest when he knows he's going to change to stop himself. But part of him doesn't wants to unleash the beast. Yeah. And I think that is there's like a little bit, you know, maybe it's it's said in the movie. I don't feel it is. But there's that like primal urge that he kind of wants to give into, you know, (laughs) over the course of the movie. And, like, another interesting scene that never made sense to me, but I was always okay with it, is the surveyor in the woods when the wolf bites down on his helmet. Right. I was like, why was it hanging upside down in the tree? That's the only <laughs> logical way it could have gotten. Seems like a panther move. Yeah, exactly. But I, I This think... movie's fake boozy. <laughs> <laughs> Are we to believe this is some sort of panther? Oh, is it... Tarzan Wolfman? <laughs> this movie's bullshit. I, I do love, though, that when his sister finally confronts him, that he just goes full, like, 
menacing bad guy and has like a whole monologue about everything. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, again, it would be a weird thing to approach from an acting point, but he realizes that no, his family isn't safe, and no, his family is going to be a cure, and everything he's tried has failed. And also his secret's out, and which is something he wanted to hold on to very dearly. Yeah, but I guess, yeah, he just tips over completely. And says, well, also, the, if you're not going to help me, then I guess I'll have to kill my family? Yeah, but also, like, even the the younger boy when he mentions something about werewolves transforming at full moons and then he kind of like laughs it off and he's like no it's every moon like yeah. you know do you remember that scene yeah well any night yeah yeah I, I think that well i mean maybe i'm just making shit up like maybe you have to transform on a full moon but you can transform on any given night because it seems like he because she asked him about that is where do you go at night mm-hmm. is that he every night he has to go out and chain himself up which is interesting to watch is that not a lot of movies go with that like i'm controlling myself because it's all you know a lot of those movies it's always like oh it's happening i don't know what to do where he's got it under control and he has precautions you know he even wears um sweatpants so he doesn't ruin his pants well that would get expensive yeah exactly Seriously. how if you the to, pants cost of being a werewolf is high you just threw your pants in the garbage at the end of every day you would be spending like half of your yeah. money on he's that. he's making conscious budget decisions when he goes out to transform <laughs> and yeah uh, i find that the uh climax of this movie is reminds me so much of a 90s kids movie where, you know, he goes to the pound and he frees not His only dog. Thor, but doesn't he free, like, a bunch of other dogs, too? I don't remember him freeing all of the other dogs. I do remember Thor doing, like, a little this hobo. Yeah. <laughs> he jumps onto a garbage can, then over the, the and, fence onto a car, and then down onto the ground. And then it just shows him fucking... Thor books it directly from the pound to the house yeah. just to kick that werewolf's ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I was a little kid, and, like, this is the thing, I've talked about this in, in, in movies all the time... When the central character is a little kid, I almost never feel worried for them, especially if there's just one. Yeah, exactly. Kid. They'll be fine. They might not know they're fine, but in my heart of hearts, I know they're fine. It's the rare horror movie, even these days, that will kill a kid. Even it only had one child murder in it. So, uh, like, it's just, it's still a taboo thing. I can't fear for them. Yeah. But I can fear for the dog because they'll always fucking kill the 100%, dog. 100%. Right? Like, so when the dog is fighting this werewolf, I'm like, no, keep Thor. I love you, Thor. Don't die. And that, that's something that always confused me with, like, watching this is I was like, how is this dog putting up such a fight against this werewolf has to be, like, 200 and some pounds, just raw. Easily twice the size and weight. Twice Easily. the size on two feet, just a monster. And this dog's kicking his ass for most of it. Oh, well, like, she grabs hold of his throat and doesn't let go. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's interesting. And again, because that really helped me for the climax of the movie. Because I wasn't scared for me in a heavy way. And I wasn't <laughs> scared for the little kid. But there was a fair chance that Thor wouldn't make it through. He might heroically give his life to save the day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and um, what a, I like the ending of this movie a lot. Yeah. I, I think it didn't show anything it didn't need to you know what i mean they have a little bit of like a false scare at the very very ending just one last little boo yeah and uh it's a little bit of a cheapy kind of uh and then all of a sudden the the orchestra swells up and it's all happy and light again and uh it's just something that's so done that i'm kind of like okay yeah yeah yeah. they always like to leave them laughing it's like this stinger moment that they put in the other movie but it didn't really need it she could again they could have probably just rolled credits with the werewolf getting killed 100 percent and, you know, um, I would love to know what happened to any of the, you know, the suit and stuff from this movie. Because 
it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that really makes this movie from being kind of an okay movie to like a really good werewolf movie for me. This yeah. is, you know, at least in my top ten for werewolf movies because of the prosthetics and because of some of the kills. Yeah, and it's weird in that it's the same thing with actually that Stephen King one, Silver Bullet, in that it feels almost like a kid's movie, but it's way too fucking hard to be a kid's movie. Yeah, and it's, it's all the scenes that aren't violent or don't involve the werewolf where it does feel like kind of that like mom and son and the dad's not there and they have a rocky relationship or whatever yeah. and you know the kid's best friend's a dog it, it all feels like such a kid's family movie stuff. and that the dog is the hero of the movie like, he's, yeah he's fighting off the the scammers and <laughs> he's, he protects them from the scammers and then he fights this werewolf and even at the end even wounded he follows the werewolf into the woods and to he finish the job changes back to michael perry and perry tells thor to do it and he I, I think that scene was supposed to be a little more impactful than it was because it's kind of silly. <laughs> but again, he's talking to a dog. <laughs> yeah, like right? the dog understands. He's like, oh, well, I wasn't going to kill you. I was just following you, but now that you said it. <laughs> With your permission, then. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> oh, so you've consented to me finishing you off. But I think that's just, that sort of speaks to the movie because like, when we beat out the plot points, it sounds silly. But when you're watching it, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I don't feel like there's any point where it really throws you off with a weird cut you know cut to you know a story piece that doesn't matter you know even her finding the drawings and the writing and stuff like it, it never feels like it takes a left turn no and there's it's fairly efficient it doesn't overstay its welcome yep 100 like doesn't need a sequel no. doesn't need a prequel it's it's just one movie it does seem like one that a lot of people miss though i mean i wouldn't be surprised i if... find it to be an underrated uh 90s film as well as uh, definitely a werewolf film yeah well again i find good ones so rarely i have to champion the ones I've exactly. She exerts enormous power, doesn't she? Do you believe in curses? hours of hell lie before you. Run free. Kill or be killed. So word was it was actually kind of a passion project of Benicio Del Toro. I could see, I could totally see him wanting to... You know, he'd spent a long time working his way up through the ranks. He started with, like, Big Top Pee Wee, and he worked his way to Traffic and Oscar nominations and Sicario. Like, he's Benicio fucking Del Toro. Yeah, and now uh, even Star Wars and the sequel, I'm assuming he's going to be in because they left his character in Limbo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully he has more purpose if they use him again. Anyway, uh, he wanted to do this Wolfman remake, and... uh, it took, went through a lot of directors, a lot of writers, a lot of different permutations, and he finally got the fucker done. And he got a pretty, <laughs> he got a pretty pedigreed cast. You know, I was right? gonna say a big and cast. Emily Blunt's no slouch. Anybody heard of Anthony Hopkins? <laughs> you, you know, Hugo. A Weaving. little, a little guy named Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Hugo Weaving. He's been in a few things. Yeah. That were mildly popular. Um, so, 
I think we had fair reason to get excited about this. The Stan Winston was doing the effects, mm-hmm. and he said he'd always wanted to do the Wolfman full Stan. I don't think there's anyone who'd be approached when this movie was coming to be that would say no to it. Yeah. Did, you know, we're bringing back the Wolfman. We have all these people involved. You know, do you want to get on board? Of course you do. It's it's the Wolfman. Everyone has an, a concept of what the Wolfman is. They're going to do it to period, and they're going to stick to the period. I mean, the language isn't formal, but it's not like... It doesn't make it's, or break. It's not Hansel and Gretel witch hunters, where yeah. they have flamethrowers and machine guns, <laughs> and it's like the steampunk version of Victorian. Exactly. Like, that revisionist whatever. Right. No, no. This is a period piece, and... Uh, it's not easy to communicate to one another, and, you know, when it's night, it's black as pitch, and, uh, yeah. The thing is, is like, great production, good special effects, no problems with the cast. Why am I not more excited about this movie? Okay, I'm glad that, yeah. It's... I... Funny story is, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before, when this movie came out, I... Wanted to see it, so I went out and saw it in the theaters. Didn't like it. For whatever reason, while it was still in theaters, I went and saw it two other times. It's the, Other than Cloverfield, this is a movie I've seen most in theaters, and I didn't want to see it the other two times I went <laughs> to it. Dragged? Yeah, it was pretty much like, oh, we're all going to this, do you want to come? I guess so. <laughs> I've seen this movie like five times, and I just, for whatever reason, it, it doesn't do it for me. I, something about this movie is off. Well, and here's the thing the most weird thing for me because I'd heard that it was Benicio's passion project to me and I say this with no pride or no 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 that the one of the bigger problems is Benicio del Toro yeah his character is so placid and so passive as to be almost without definition he's just a blank slate who allows shit to happen to him He's introduced as this grand actor, but I don't feel anything, you know, boisterous or energetic about his character. He's certainly not passionate about his work For, or yeah. about his family. For your or main about, character to be so uh, neutral about everything, it really... Even his brother's death, which is the instigating event of the movie. <laughs> he's, oh. he's like, oh, well, okay, well, we'll get down to that. Well, he I guess ev- I don't have a brother anymore. He eventually shows, you know, moments of close to genuine emotion when he feels things towards Emily Blunt, but he's conflicted because she was <coughs> married to his brother. And in one memorable and admittedly quite amusing scene where he finally wolfs out in front of a room full of people and he's trying to warn these idiots, you're going to die. That's the operation room, yeah, correct? And, yeah. And, and that's one of a handful of scenes where he lights up, where all of a sudden I see a really entertaining Benicio Del Toro performance. And that's the thing that just rattles me about the movie. It's just like, you wanted to do this movie, you got all the right people, all the right pieces pieces and places, and then you're flat You phone in a lot of it. It felt phoned in. That's a good way to put it. And Benicio, to my experience, doesn't phone shit in. And if this is something he was passionate about, that... It's very confusing to me. No, that is that is a great... Like, he does go all in. Like, I, you had mentioned Sicario. Yeah. Like, watching Sicario, like, you can tell he was balls to the walls involved in that. Yeah. Whereas this, yeah, you're you're right. Other than him being like, ah, stay away from me, which I really enjoyed that scene. But overall, this is my least favorite version of a werewolf. Well, the two-legged werewolf is less popular, generally. Yeah. But well, I mean, even the Bad Moon werewolf was yeah. two, stood on two legs, yeah. but this one was more like, I, I got some hair on my face, and I got some hair on my arms. That's, you know, and it's not my favorite version of it. 
And I found Anthony Hopkins' character was such a throw-in. Well, I think that if it wasn't Anthony Hopkins playing him, I would have liked it a lot less in that I saw very quickly where that character was going and what they were going to do with it. But he really did seem like he gave a shit when he was doing his stuff. You're like, this is a villain. Yeah. No, like I've said before, if you hire Anthony Hopkins, he will. You're give getting, you your money's uh, worth. yeah, you're getting Anthony Hopkins. Absolutely, he will give you your money's worth on any premise. If you you show up to pay, he'll do a Transformers movie, no problem, right? Uh, he's he's a workman actor, um, but he's bringing it. Uh, I think Emily Blunt's doing what she can with the you know, well, with me, my husband's you know. Dead. She seems like an odd choice for this movie. I'm just gonna say I find Emily Blunt to be an odd choice for a Wolfman movie. If you were to tell me before this movie came out that those two were attached, I'd be like, really? Well, it's strange. She's a very modern presence, too, but I guess so is Benicio. But, yeah, they don't feel as flat as Benicio. It's <laughs> almost like, you, I hate to ride on it, it feels like it'd be so awful for Benicio, <laughs> but like, it really felt like he, like he got the costume, he looked at himself in the mirror and said, job is done, you know? It- I look, I, I look period and the special effects will do all of my monster stuff so I just have to get this exposition out of the way yeah that, that, that A to B point anywhere in between there I don't really care but as soon as I put on that makeup we're golden I do want to say some nice things though. okay there is a sequence that takes place at a gypsy encampment. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where the wolfman kills a bunch of folk, and they use some actual prosthetic effects. Apparently, a lot of the prosthetic effects got edited out of the movie in favor of CG. And again... Sounds like the Thing prequel. <laughs> sounds like, well, just a mistake, right? Yeah. Uh, again, uh, I think that if you're going to do a werewolf movie, especially one like this, especially big budget, big cast, you owe us a good transformation you fucking 100%, yeah. owe us a good transformation and it was a pixar cartoon when he turned into that werewolf once he was a werewolf and we settled into the werewolf stuff i got in got used to it yeah. and everything like that but the transformation itself i just didn't buy it and i wanted to so much Lucy. i really did so did you see this movie when it came out in theaters i did mr How? beckman and i saw it ah, together so did you like it your first time around ah uh, we fought over it. I was not so big on it, and, and Lee, who's a big werewolf guy, I, th- I think he was sort of like me for the first about 24 hours after I saw Phantom Menace, where I was like, no, it was pretty good. It was pretty good, right? It was all right. That, that, Guys, that, right, right? That yeah. lightsaber battle was pretty cool, right? And, Darth Maul and Darth looks Maul's cool. Pretty cool, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I can't. It's just, it's shit, and I know it's shit, right? Um... I kind of felt like that energy coming off of Lee, but I may be putting words in his mouth. And again, watching it new, I like there's really good production to it, and some of the scenes do work. Mm-hmm. But the, I find the hunting like... scenes at the end were really cool. Yeah. Towards, I guess that would be like three quarters of the way through their their big hunt. It just seems like such a missed opportunity. All of the players were there. All of the pieces were there. Bring us a big budget period werewolf movie. Yes, <laughs> I want it. And yet, here I sit disappointed. I think this goes back to the whole, and I know this this wasn't in like in anybody's mind when it happened, but that whole like how Dark Universe flopped, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, you have all these great things put together, and you put them all, and you're like hoping like, yeah, these should work. You have these big names, you have this, you know, uh, track record of the Wolfman. Everybody knows it. We're gonna throw it all together, and for whatever reason, it's. It's just whatever. I don't think a lot of people, other than people on podcasts, are going to be talking about the Wolfman anytime soon for any length. Other than like, do you remember that Wolfman movie? You know, no one's, no one's going to be like, yeah, 
they keep trying to resuscitate classic monsters, and part of me is like, I'm willing for it, but it's just like, I don't know, maybe culturally we've kind of outgrown these monsters. Maybe that's the reason they're having such a hard time rebooting Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Maybe their time has come and gone. Um, you can make werewolf movies. I'm not saying you can't make a werewolf movie, but as far as the classic... The wolf man... Yeah. Or, or the classic template yeah. period Bride of Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon stuff. That time had its time, and then the slasher era had its time, and now we have to figure out what this time is. Clearly, this is not the time to revisit the ghosts of horror past. Exactly. As far as The Mummy's concerned, I would say if you're going to make a movie called The Mummy, make it about the mummy <laughs> instead of Dr. Jekyll and fucking Tom Cruise but <laughs> that's just me giving some notes yeah, after the fact yeah. um, I don't think that this movie is quite the debacle that the mummy no, 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 no. not on the uh, same level and again there's enough good stuff in it like if you, if you are listening to the review and you're curious about it I wouldn't say absolutely don't see it I would just say set your expectations lower than this cast would have suggested exactly and we haven't barely talked about Hugo Weaving <laughs> I like Hugo Weaving a lot as an actor. It's like, uh, um, you know, V for Vendetta, the Lord of the Rings, fucking Matrix. You know? Like, uh, I, I think the dude has game. And um, I don't know how to feel about his character if we're supposed to, like, really like him. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not a bad dude, but his position in the movie is to bring down a character that we like. <laughs> and again, this is a tragic arc. This movie, the story inevitably has to end with the death of the main character. And when that happens, the audience should feel something. <laughs> you know? Like, not, not like a, okay, well, it finally happened, guys. Like, like maybe you're not wiping tears from your eyes. You yeah. know? Uh, spoilers for an American Werewolf in London. At the end of American Werewolf in London, we just have this still shot of this naked body of our main character dead as shit in a filthy alley in a filthy alley and then it cuts to credits and i still walked out of that theater with a big old fucking smile on my face <laughs> but i still felt that sucks for david that is too bad right but i still like the movie i i didn't i didn't feel anything with any of the deaths no really, in no. this movie i mean i was entertained superficially by the hairy wolfman's with the claws and the teeth and the whatnots. And that sequence where he changes in front of all of the doctors mm-hmm. is pretty money. That, <laughs> I that would is give it great. That. Give it, he's being, uh, he's at a mental institution. He'd been already institutionalized for a period when he was young. Uh, and so this very pretentious, overwrought doctor is giving this big speech about, this man believes he's going to be a monster and we're going to make him confront his beliefs. Yeah, and everyone there is chortling about yeah. it. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to show him this full moon and when he doesn't change into a werewolf, we can all, you know, yeah. help him get to this root of his his mental illness. And he's like, you fucking idiots. I'm going to kill all of you. Yes, that was yes. a very fun yes, scene. Yes, of course you are. <laughs> and that scene totally worked for me. And the way he like over the top, like sleepy hollow killed that doctor too. It's like, yeah, uh, we're getting kind of to the over the top, but, uh, and you know, rooftop chase, it gets kind of it's, exciting it's, it's for fun. a second. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's the moments of energy that the movie jumps into. Again, I don't want to be super mean to it. Like, I felt like I came out with my, my, my fangs out. <laughs> but it's... Just, I, I love werewolf movies. And this had 
everything in it to tell me that this would be number one on the list. And spoilers, Boozy, it is not number one on my <laughs> I'm list. I'm shocked. <laughs> um, but again, maybe I'm grading it for the movie I wanted it to be more than for the movie it is. But Fair. I've watched it twice through now, and I still find it highly problematic. I, and I think once we're getting to talking about our, our rank and review aspect of it is I, I like a lot of darker subject matter in my wolf movies especially. Yeah. And I find that this one's kind of ho-hum, follows a lot of the same trends that like a, say a superhero movie would, where that's not really my thing. Yeah. Let's do this again while I'm actually recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> Brucey, what was your least favorite of these six werewolf movies and why? Uh, number six for me is The Wolfman. What? <laughs> I feel like we need to give some insight as to why. I failed to press record properly at first. So I've already, yeah, I've already delved into this, but we're going to do a spit take pretending like that never happened. Um, yeah, Wolfman's number six for me, just not my kind of movie, not my kind of Wolfman, and didn't really relate to any of the characters, or didn't take any enjoyment out of it overly. It's not a bad movie, it's just not for me, and on this list, it is number six. Okay. Do we... Keep going. Oh, I keep going? Okay. Number five for me is Underworld. Okay. Um, fun action sequences, I, I guess. Uh, it's okay, but there's there's nothing else. It's It feels very empty in terms of its universe and everything it does. If I wanted to just watch the Battle of Helm's Deep, like we said before, that's totally fine. Yeah. But other than that, it's, it's not great. Um, number four for me is American Werewolf in Paris. Uh, I have a big soft spot for 90s movies. I will forgive it for a ton of things. Like some of my favorite movies I've mentioned before, like I love Valentine, I love Urban Legend, Faculty even. Yeah, all that sort it's of stuff. It's right in your sort of... Yeah, it's in my wheelhouse and I can forgive a ton of the stuff. Even though we did tear it apart for the special effects and kind of the <laughs> corny story, I just, for some reason, there's a little part of me that really enjoys some of that stuff. So that was my number four. Number three for me is Cursed. It's, it's fairly high. I didn't think it would go that high, but I had an enjoyable time watching it. Right. And I got some laughs out of it, and it was it was fine that way. Um, not much else I can say about Cursed. Like, I don't know why. It, it's three for me, but at the same time, it's, it's not overly amazing. <laughs> um, number two for me is Bad Moon. Uh, yeah, I, I love a lot about Bad Moon. I, I just... It's this simple little film, and it tells a nice little story, and it has incredible like one of my favorite werewolf designs in any werewolf movie right 
And then number one is Ginger Snaps 2, which is not only one of my favorite werewolf movies ever, but like it's definitely up there as one of being my favorite movies overall. Oh, wow. With, with, not within like a, a top five aspect, but it's definitely one of my favorite movies. You I, like it a lot. Yeah, I oh I love I love it and I love how dark it is. I, I gravitate towards darker movies mm-hmm. and I love that it's just yeah, it's so grim and I love that it explores its universe without going over the top. Yeah. The you know, like I we'd said when we talked about it, the whole hunting for you know, the, the male hunting for the female had never had that twist on a werewolf movie before and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. No well, I'm not gonna fight you on that. Um uh, for a while there, I thought we were gonna go zero for six, but we have oh. not. We've not gone zero for six, but we're quite. We have very different lists. Okay. But I don't think we're gonna scrap over it. I don't think that we're feeling too so passionately different. Yeah. That you're gonna, Let's flip this table. <laughs> fight this shit out. Uh, I put cursed at the bottom. Okay. And part of it is just the pedigree of the people going into the movie, right? Like right. West Craven. West Craven. Yeah, exactly. Kevin Williamson, werewolves. This should have been a C plus if they were at. A half tank, right? Okay. Like, I just should have been more than it was. And you look at movies like like the first two screams, and you look at you know even I know what you did last summer, which you wrote. It just I love, and that's not what I love. Yeah, this this seems lazy, and it's only occasionally scary, and it's almost never funny. Like I said, when that werewolf flipped the bird, I felt like it was the movie flipping me the bird personally. Fair. Like, how can I be a, See, how can I, I be frightened of this werewolf? And thing? I like to use this something I'd never seen done before, where they're shit-talking her, and then she flips them off. Yeah, she says she's got a fat ass or something, yeah, and that's the straw that I breaks thought it the was werewolf's funny. back. I was like, fuck you, fuck <laughs> you. Okay, so in fifth place, American Werewolf in Paris. I don't hate it with the fever, which I used to. In fact, I do actually concede that it has its limited charms. And maybe it would be a guilty pleasure if it was just called The Werewolves of the Paris Catacombs. But that it sure. should associate itself with an American Werewolf in London as just a pure cash grab, it rubs me the wrong way. Um, like I said, I took it more personally than most people would. In the end, it's harmless. But it's also so dated that, you know, there's always going to be something more interesting to watch on a given night. The nice Unless thing you're is that, a big Julie Delphi fan. That's which true. Make sure you check that the, out. The nice thing, though, is that it doesn't uh, discredit or destroy any of the lore of the first film. No, it definitely is respectful in its way, but... Yeah. Uh, I, I get what you're saying, that it, because it's tied into that same universe is the problem. Yeah, it, it makes it worse for me somehow. Maybe that's not fair, but that's how I feel. In fourth position is where I put Wolfman, and like I said in the review, I'm going to put a lot of this on Benicio, and I'm a Benicio fan. I say that with no joy, but he seemed like his heart wasn't in it, and therefore neither was mine. So, fourth place. Overperforming all the way in third place, I put Underworld 3 Rise of the Lycans, as an is-what-it-is movie. You want to watch some vampires fight some werewolves? All right, there you go. <laughs> like again, while well, you, you could do some vacuuming while it's on, you know, multitask. Yeah, maybe an explosion it's, happens. You're like, ooh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so there it is. Now we're gonna come more to the same page because in second place, Bad Moon, or Thor, oh, as I it did, was originally it. called. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it's great and. Uh, like I said, I kind of weirdly like that it's like a child story 
but it's an adult movie. <laughs> yeah, especially for werewolf movies, there's nothing like that. I think that might be what's really responsible for the odd tone of the whole piece. It's just like... It could be a Disney afternoon special until that chick gets ripped to fucking shreds. <laughs> Whoa! Did that dude's head just get bitten off by a werewolf? Yeah. <laughs> that ain't cool. Uh, yeah, so I, I liked it. And I liked that the quiet star of the movie was a dog. <laughs> so, points for that. But, yeah, uh, Ginger Snaps 2. Just an amazingly strong, successful sequel to an already an amazing, strong movie. And it... It would have been really easy for them to shit the bed with this sequel. Again, Canadian-made low-budget horror movies are, are up and down, up and down, peaks and valleys. I, I, yeah, and I find this one is kind of that, that uh, what, what diamond in the rough. Oh, of... no, the stars aligned again. And to have it happen two movies in a row, bravo. And again, no weak performances, very solid effects, very strong script. With that, you don't even really need a budget. Fair. Thank you so much. Thank you for, <laughs> for having me. To this episode of Rank and Review, <laughs> I'm going to say 130. <laughs> <laughs> if not, then I'll fix that in editing. <laughs> no one will ever know this happened. <laughs> no one will ever know. You will, you're welcome to come back to Rank and Review oh, if, you, uh, that. if you're into it. I'll find I'd like I don't have a just werewolf list, but I don't know. You can find a monster list or a slasher list. Would, would be I be able to like. make a list? Is that? Or is well, this all on you? You know can, what? We'll, I don't, don't want to... We can discuss it off okay. mic, but uh, uh, um, it's not unprecedented, but we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, but yes, thank you so much. And please, people, if whoever this is catching your ears, if you like what you heard today, you should probably listen to The Terror Table. Or don't. You know, do, You know, I'd never want to force people to listen to anything. <laughs> Until what a Canadian man. answer, eh? <laughs> Oh, don't listen to me. Oh, listen shucks, to guys. Yes. Listen to other people first. Oh, Joe Rogan needs more <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Until next time, brother. And another episode of Rankin Review has come to a close. Although the list did not match, I felt a lot of kinship between Boozy and myself. If you like what you heard today, you should think about trying the Terror Table podcast. They, uh, they uh, have a good discussion and uh, deep, deep, hard-hitting reviews. They don't spend 10 minutes on a movie. They'll dig in. They'll roll up their sleeves and spend a good chunk of time on each film. So uh, check out the Terror Table, and big thanks to Boozy. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know how you would rank your movies. Uh, you can let me know at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And as I said at the top of the show, October 27th, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Book of Trespasses is playing the Broadway Theatre. Would love to see any fans there. Until next we speak. 